Hey, welcome, Exponential Family. My name is Chad Clarkson. I serve as the director of the Houston Church Planning Network uh, here in Houston, Texas. Uh, get to be your your host for for this webinar today. Uh, just a reminder, kind of kind of our theme today. Uh, what you're logging on logging on for today is together we are the answer to Jesus's prayer. You know, Jesus' last prayer is recorded in John 17 uh, that I'm sure you're familiar with. And it was for us to be one, to be together. God wants us to be together forever. We can be the answer to his final prayer and help people escape uh, from an eternity without him and to experience eternal life. And we are excited to be joined today by Grant Skeldon. Grant's our, our guest today. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about him before, I, and I'll let him introduce himself as well. But in response to young people uh, really being labeled noncommittal, lazy, entitled, slacktivists, uh, Grant started the Initiative Network when he was only 23 years old, uh, really with the goal there to develop young leaders into Christ-loving, city-changing, church-investing, and disciple-making local missionaries. Then in 2020, uh, newly married Grant moved to Nashville with his bride, and he became the, the next generation director uh, for Q, Q Ideas. So, Grant, we're excited to get to the chance to sit with you today. Absolutely. Thanks, Chad. How's Nashville? I like it a lot. I mean, so I was from Dallas, you know, my whole life. Uh, so I feel like similar to Houston, I know Houston and Dallas don't always get along the best, but we, yeah. when you, when you go outside of Texas, there's a lot of similarity between those two cities. And so it's cool about Dallas uh, Nashville is how uh, easy it is to get around. Everything's within 10 minutes. Uh, it's a humble city when it comes to the churches here, I believe. Um, yeah. Not as many mega, mega global churches. And, and um, there's more, there's better weather, in my opinion. No, I hear it. Got some good music, too. and Oh, and we love country music, yeah. So that was, that was a Yeah, and I hear great things about the churches as far as collaboration, especially around prayer uh, there in Nashville. So a lot to be excited about. So, Grant, I'm going to fire some questions at you today. And we also have a chat uh, going. So if you're if you're watching with us today, feel free to throw some questions uh, into the chat discussion, too. But let, let me go ahead and jump in here. Uh, at Exponential, our theme for these regionals, of which you're speaking at a couple in D.C. and then with us here in Houston, uh, the theme is together, the great collaboration. And so we understand the great commission for Matthew 28. We believe in the great commandment, Mark 12. Uh, but sometimes I think what we're looking at is if we've forgotten the challenge of the great collaboration that we see in John 17, this idea that we are to go, go in love, and then do that together. Uh, maybe just for a moment, Grant, just unpack for why you specifically think it's important that we pursue this mission of Jesus together alongside others. Yeah. I, I think for me, this is more experientially than it is biblically, but I, I it is both, but uh, I actually, so I'm, I'm half Mexican um, and then I'm actually half South African. Oh, wow. uh, and it was a unique mix. My dad's from South Africa, a white man from South Africa. My mom's the youngest of 14 and a big, massive Mexican family. And um, I had never met, I've never met another Mexican South African person um, before. So when I was kind of like growing up, I always felt like I was a little different and trying to, and I actually ironically grew up in a very diverse, mostly uh, African-American and Latino school. Uh, but when I got saved at 16 years old, it was at a predominantly uh, middle-class, upper-class white church. And uh, it was just like culture shock to have these, uh, what I knew to now my new Christian friends, uh, I always joke, but like I always said, you guys, there's like a second Christian Trinity in white Christianity. Cause I was like, you three, you guys always want to go to these three places. You guys always want to go to Chick-fil-A, Chipotle or Starbucks. And I had seriously never been to Chick-fil-A, Starbucks or Chick-fil-A until I became a Christian and hung out with mostly white Christians. Um, and so all that to say, when I got the message of the gospel and especially the kind of the, the great commission preached to me as like that God hasn't just saved me, but he's also entrusted the gospel to me to reach my school. When I started reaching my school and inviting my friends to church, it just they stood out so much um, because of uh, not only the color of their skin, but also the way they dressed. It was just obvious, like those are Grant's friends. Um, and two things happened. One was I actually really fell in love with the beauty of racial reconciliation and even culture, uh, socioeconomic reconciliation, because it was people coming from way different uh, economic uh, upbringings. And I loved, yeah, us getting to know each other. I always felt like it was more beautiful when these groups came together. Um, I feel like we always 
touch on the, like the guilty and the difficult part, but there's actually a lot of blessings when you bring people that, from different cultures together. Uh, we see that a lot when we go to other countries and we see, oh, what are the values there? And, and we learn from each other. And that happens, lo- can happen locally as well. Um, and so that was one thing that happened. But the second thing that happened was I, I just kind of was sad that I couldn't find a diverse church to invite my diverse friends to. Because um, I felt like my school was diverse, but my church wasn't diverse. And I kind of remember thinking at 16, 17 years old that I was like, it's kind of sad because the c- clubs and like bars that my friends would like go to, they were more diverse than churches that we could find. I either had to find a black church, a white church or a Latino church. Um, but that would still leave someone not feeling kind of connected or seen or uh, where they're familiar with others that look like them. So I think uh, we have to become diverse uh, and one um, and I know one is more than race. It's, it's, it's denomination. I think it, it crosses across uh, generations. Um, I would even say being one in um, the fivefold ministry is, is a big problem too, where we, yeah. we truly value the apostolic gifting to the church, the prophetic, the evangelistic and the shepherd and teacher. Um, so there's so many areas that the enemy loves to divide us in. But um, for me, what started this desire for one was, I was like, man, the world is ahead of us in that area. Yeah. Bars and clubs are ahead of us in that area. And it's going to be hard to say you should come join us, the Ministry of Reconciliation, when they're like, uh, actually, I could go to the club and I could actually see more unity yeah, yeah. in a way there. And, and so uh, I, I, I know the church is the hope of the world. I know that, um, yeah, the church always advances. It sometimes can be behind, but unlike movements that my generation will say, Hey, it's a movement, like put an ice bucket on your head or put an X on your hand or look for Coney for a couple of days. Like those are movements to my generation, but they only last for a couple of days or one year. And then no one else does it again. Um, but with this, I feel like the church can sometimes be behind and not feel like a movement, but I always think, I think it is a movement because it does continue it does say to the core mission of what it's about and this is one of those areas though that we're going to have to focus on if we want to be the the bride of christ i think god wanted and the the church that the nation needs yeah no that's real that's really good Grant. appreciate that so working with uh, i mean i know you work with multiple generations but i know you have a heart for how old are you can i ask that uh, yeah yeah i'm 31 okay i was wondering if you'd hit 30 yet but kind mm-hmm. of that that younger generation um you know, even some of the things you said make me think, all right, it's, it may be this generation just collaborates and thinks together more, more easily than maybe previous generations. Have you seen some of that? Do you feel like because of what's going on with culture, it's easier in the church for this next generation? Or Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I'm not, actually, I'm going to quote who said this and I, I just have found it to be true is the very first time I ever spoke on the next generation. I was 24 years old. I had two day notice and it was a conference actually that like Tim Keller and Matt Chandler and these guys that I look up to Yeah, and they kind of saw, I, I, I actually got hired with very short notice to get as many young people to go to this conference that already had like 2000 people going, but they realized we don't have anyone really, not anyone, but we don't have many under 30. So yeah. they gave me the, the millennial code to, to get everyone in for free, which is how you get millennials there. Yeah. And uh, we ended up getting, me and my friends ended up getting um, about six, uh, sorry, no, 400. It was about 400 uh, young people to go to the conference. And I think they realized there's no one young speaking at this thing. We got to get someone that's under 32 to actually like, be represented from stage. Yeah. So I got an email and they asked two days before, would you be on a millennial panel? And um, all that to say, I also got to, um, is the irony is I got that and then, Uh, I got to chaperone Tim while he was there and I asked him, I was like, I really see my life shift towards helping this. It was in a unique time. And uh, that conference kind of like really changed a lot of the trajectory of my career, but that speaking and uh, developing a heart for unity, which happened by when I was talking to Tim, I said, this was like his thing kind of, Um, I said, and it was all about unity. Um, The whole thing is, can we get the business leaders together? Can we get the church leaders together? the nonprofit leaders together and the local Christian political leaders together because we're all invested in the welfare of the city. And so they had done it in New York for years. And I, we were talking to him and say, Hey, are you excited about this coming here to Dallas? And he said, no. And we were just like, what? Like, 
Yeah. So was it the Movement Day? Movement Day conference? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, we're like, we've been working for months to make this thing happen. And you're like the face of this thing. And they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I was really surprised that he would say he wasn't excited. Uh, it was like, we thought God had done a lot to like bring all these leaders together. It really was a diverse gathering of leaders across race, industry, denomination. It was really yeah. in our generation. I thought it was really cool. But I was surprised he would say no. And, and he said, well, let me explain. He talked about how the reason he didn't think Dallas, he said, I'm not excited about it because I don't think Dallas was the right choice to do a conference around unity. Hmm. He said, if we're going to take it out of New York and replicate it somewhere else, we should have chosen a different city like Chicago or Philadelphia yeah. or Portland. And he said, the re and I said, well, why? And he said, the reason Dallas isn't a good city is because it's not desperate enough for unity. Hmm. Um, and he said, the reason I think we chose it is because it has a lot of finances and philanthropic like money and it has big churches, but that's not actually good for unity. Um, yeah. He talked about how churches could go five, 10 years without ever talking to each other, the yeah. neighboring churches, and they still would be successful technically in the eyes of the American church. And that really was like that line that they're not desperate enough for unity. And I really chewed on that the next couple of days because I was like, he's right. You're like, they don't feel like they need each other. It made me think of good to great, where uh, it says, like, we're so good in Dallas that it stops us from being great because we're good enough that we actually don't need each other. Uh, but that's that, that blinder of like, man, but if we're this good and could work together, imagine what God could do um, through all of us in Dallas. There's 4,800 churches in that city. Uh, yeah. um, and so I said that to say, um, I chewed on it and I thought, the good thing about the next generation is they are desperate. Like with the way the culture is moving, mm -hmm. where the way things are going, where it's not like being a Christian is to culture seems irrelevant or, Hey, I mean, you do that, but I don't get it. Now it's like, Oh, you do that. You're hostile. You're not relevant. You're like not our enemy, but maybe like if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or believe the wrong thing, um, even if it's been a biblical value for like years. And so um, I think the desperation is actually very helpful to uh, create unity and force unity. We probably see that's the most chat, and I know you see this all the time, is I noticed that kind of unity uh, desire. It's just like, it's not a hard sell for unity with church planters. Yeah. Those are the pastors that are willing to work together the most because yeah. again, they're desperate. They yeah. are like, yo, I got, I need all the friends I can get in this season. I'm, I'm, exactly. I feel like I'm parachuting into one of the hardest places. I got to raise money. My yeah. family has trusted uh, our leadership decision to do this. Um, all these different things that man, church planners are down to work together. They're down to go to the meeting. They're down to carve out the time. Um, but once you get a little more comfortable, you got a larger staff, you got some backing irony is we we lose that that i don't know that that feeling that hey we we need others if we really want to shift the culture of the city yeah no that's great i mean it's kind of that frontline mentality for the desperation piece i mean you church planners here i mean sounds like you've been overseas quite a bit too and i think we see it overseas like Absolutely. when church planners or missions there it's like all right we're in a a low population of a christian context we have to work together it's that <clears throat> desperation um that I think they feel in a, in a global context. I got, I got a follow-up question here related to that uh, from the audience. It says, how do you create that kind of desperation for unity? Do you have to actually wait until conditions get bad enough to force it? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, it's a good question because it's kind of like, I, I, as you, you asked my age, so I feel like I'm getting older and I feel like every it's like on the back end, every leader had many leaders often have a burnout season where they then turn, uh, they reprioritize around spiritual and emotional health. But when you're young, it's kind of like, yes, I'll say yes to everything. Go there for the glory of God for him. And then kind of lose yourself. You're pouring out of an empty cup. You hit a wall and emotion. I, you probably read emotionally healthy leader by Keith yeah. Cazero. Oh yeah. yeah. Cause that's, yeah. Dude, that's group, yeah. 28. I, I was like, man, 28, I'm having a burnout and hitting this wall and I'm just seeking direction. That book was like so helpful. Um, and I've always thought, do you have to hit that wall in order to value emotional health, spiritual health, the Sabbath, rest, um, letting God go before you, saying no more? Um, and I don't know if you do, uh, I do think it's possible to gain wisdom through other people's pain. Um, 
But with this, I, I've thought about that. Like, how do you, does a church have to hit a wall first? And I think what I would, I would say is first helping a church, uh, redefine their scorecard and not even redefine. I would just say add something to their scorecard. I, I think 2020, one silver lining is it's really helped us realize that um, attendance alone and giving alone cannot be uh, the only things on the scorecard. However, I'm never saying we need to take that off the scorecard and replace it. I'm just saying, I think we need to add a couple more things to the scorecard. Those, those, uh, one of those things I would say is discipleship. Um, and I would say diversity. Um, and not a diversity that's forced, but a diversity that actually represents the, the city you're in. Um, but all that to say, when you re- also add the next generation as part of the scorecard, like, do we have this united and represented generations in our church? And if you don't, because most, I've noticed even big, big churches have just disproportionate low numbers when it comes to the next generation. I mean, I've seen this nationally. It's like I'm, churches that we all know. There's like, we've known them for decades. You ask, they got 20,000. You ask, how big is your young adult ministry? It's like 80, mm-hmm. which is kind of big, but it's like, if you got 20,000 and your young adult ministry is 80, I, I see that all, most of the time. Um, and so in that area, it's like, I hope that can be a pebble in our shoe that kind of bothers us to say, hey, We've got to, we are, we may not be desperate in some other areas, but in this area, which is a symbol and signature of the future, uh, there is some desperation. So I think uh, discipleship is another one. Like how many people in our churches are discipling someone younger in the faith? Mm -hmm. Um, If we don't know that, then we need to figure that out. And if we don't even know that for our staff, um, then that's a problem. And there's, I don't know, I just think even for the big churches that maybe measure some of these things, uh, there's other, there's other parts of the scorecard that few churches are doing too, too well at, and and diversity is one of those. I mean, LifeWay did a study and found that only 93% of churches had diversity at the level where they have 20% of another ethnicity with a majority ethnicity. Representation, yes, but not, not. What was the percent on that again? It was 93% um, don't have at least 20% of another um, ethnicity. So they'll have representation, but not where that person could come in and say, oh, there's a lot of other people that gotcha. look like me. You could just say there are some people here and there. Only, so like, okay. so 7% okay. of the churches. Yeah, it's only, yeah, not many. There's, there's a lot of room for us to grow in, in those areas. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, what about on the multi, kind of the multi-generational piece? You know, you work with mainly younger, but also older. What are some of the things maybe the older generation needs to know or previous generations need to know about the up and coming generations in terms of togetherness and maybe vice versa. If there's someone younger on this webinar, uh, what should they know about older generations? What should they know about each other? And, yeah, um, just in terms of collaboration, have you seen anything working with, uh, just to be aware of? Well, yeah, I mean, the number one thing I probably, I know I talk about uh, to the point I almost don't want to repeat myself because anyone that's been with exponential and heard me knows I talk about discipleship. Uh, yeah. But I was like, that is to me the silver bullet to the multi generational problem. Uh, if you start with discipleship, it's it, it's the number one key factor I see among those who are young, who are leading at a national level. And I, through the work I do with Q Ideas here in Nashville with Game Lions and Rebecca, I get to recruit and give community to and train. Uh, just we were always looking for who are high caliber young Christian leaders in their 20s or early 30s who have a national platform or voice or organization or business, and how can we put them together to collectively influence the, the future of the church and the culture? Um, and what I've noticed is all of them, or at least most of them, have great mentors, great older people involved in them. Older people, uh, a very common thing I've even found among great leaders in the church is. Uh, like the greater the leader they are, I've almost never seen it where you couldn't ask them, hey, was there someone older that took you aside at a young age and really challenged you, gave you responsibilities you didn't deserve? You didn't even believe in yourself, but you ended up stepping up to the plate. Um, and they almost always have that person in their story, if not multiple times, yeah. someone doing that for them. And so uh, there's so much power in um the giving of responsibilities to young people that's free and literally takes work off your plate on the front end, they could mess things up. And that's what the disciples did too. They, they yeah. cut people's ears off so that we, I've never seen a millennial or Z do that yet. And so I'm like, if Jesus was a, would have give freedom for these guys to do all the things they messed up in, but then see them on the other side, be powerhouse prayer warriors and pull for Christ. Um, I think, I think that would be a huge one. I, 
I do want to add uh, it's something that's good for, I think, young people to know and older generations to know. And we, we do know this is like every generation, I think, swings the pendulum one way. And then there's there is a new generation that kind of swings it, not the opposite direction, but there's some shadow to swinging it that way. So the other generation sees that shadow of a, something good, I think, and swings it the other. And this is my analysis. And again, I'm just one person. So I'm not saying it is the way, but I, I have this theory that like boomers, especially kind of start the Rick Warren's of the world and uh, Andy Stanley and uh, Willow's guy, Bill Hybels. And a lot of those guys, um, even Ed Young kind of saw church becoming this thing where the next generation of that time weren't relating to and it went from being the sacred event that it was maybe in Billy Graham's era, uh, where it was just like expected you go to church, you even dress nice, which would never happen today. And not even any generation really yeah. kind of does that anymore. Yeah. But it was once that kind of serious sacred event. Um, they saw people leaving the church, being hurt by church, being disinterested in my church. And they they went towards the loss, which I think uh, even creating a seeker sensitive church, Jesus, Jesus went to go seek and save the lost. So I don't even really have a problem with trying to respond to where are the lost people and how do we, how do we get them back into the faith and back to the family of God? Mm-hmm. Um, however, there is a shadow to that. I mean, many, 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 many people got saved. Uh, but the one shadow I do think that then uh, a generation saw is that it became a little more comfortable, a little more recentered, a little bit more uh, slick and produced um, and, and safe. And I feel like the guys that came up that saw the shadow of that, like Matt Chandler, I think Mark Driscoll, yeah. Francis Chan, uh, David Platt, those are four that I saw a lot. Those guys saw that shadow and they're like, I don't want a comfortable, safe church. I want an in-your-face, real, raw, like movement type of church. And they went from like the sacred church to this like awesome church. How can we make church just so you want to be there to, it almost was too awesome that these guys I just named they are like, I want to make it authentic and raw. And you think about Chandler's church, it's kind of like candles, very underproduced, but like very serious about the word of God. And I always say those guys were real and authentic and they were not seeker sensitive. Not None of those four guys, Platt, Francis Chan, Mark Driscoll, uh, Chandler. I, was, I always say they were either shouting at you, they were cussing at you, or they were crying the whole time. I'm looking for you to take the mission of God seriously. Um, And the next generation really liked that. Their generation, I mean, they flocked to that. But think about how not seeker sensitive it is to like do that. Mm -hmm. And so I say that to say, I think one thing the millennial generation did that's good is I think they got tired of church still just becoming an event. We're still just changing the event. And we really want to go and reach the world, reach the culture. Um, The shadow of that, is two things. I think that we did a lot of that without seeking the gospel and putting the gospel at the center of that. Not always, but often. Mm-hmm. And again, this is what Gen Z is seeing. And then especially what I'm seeing and I'm encouraged and want to encourage anyone listening about Gen Z is I think where I'm seeing Gen Z already start to call some of my generation out for is that they're like, you guys tried to not just reach the culture, but like be like the culture. So good at being like the culture that you could win them over to Christ. Basically, you guys tried so hard to not make the church cool, but to make you cool. Like you guys tried to be so cool that maybe you could be connect with the world. But just like you, the idea of it, you can't be like the world and change the world. It's a lot of it. There's nothing to change if you're trying to be like them. And, and so I'm seeing a remnant, not all, but a remnant of more and more young Gen Z leaders that are seeking, ironically, holiness, uh, and they're seeking this like revival mentality mm-hmm. and evangelistic nature, almost ironically, like, going back to like a Billy Graham of just kind of this old soul of, I don't care what the world thinks, I don't need to win its approval, and kind of old school of like, we just need to tell people about Jesus and they mm-hmm. need to know God and come to Christ. And so I think there's a big opportunity with the, again, not all of them, but I'm seeing more and more of that mentality um, and that, that excites me about the future of the church, but it's going to take every generation. Like every one of those groups had some really good contributions to the church. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. 
Yeah, no, love that, Grant. Appreciate appreciate those thoughts. On the let me let me follow up with it. One of those in regard questions in regards to discipleship and mentorship. Thinking like between generations, do you feel like the that's the older generation's responsibility? Hey, go find someone young, uh, or is it the younger generation? Generation Z say, hey, you go find someone old. You got to lead up, or is it a both and? It's like it just needs to happen both and. What would you encourage both generations that they were seeking that out to practically do? Yeah, I, I do think it's both. And I'll say a case for two, for both reasons or both ways. When you look at Jesus as the model, Jesus was the one who sought out the disciples. Um, however, they, I, I wish I could, I need to remember what this book is called. <laughs> it was a book that studied mentorship by an ass, like it was like a thousand plus interviews with different people that mentored. And one thing that I thought was really interesting that they found was that it hinged more on the discipleship or mentorship relationship went better if the young person was more serious even than the older person. Like it, it, if, if they had to choose between the two, it's, they said it relied and hinged more on the young person's seriousness and passion about getting mentor discipled than the older person. And uh, I can't, I would say experientially, that is what I kind of have seen is the more serious the young person is, they can almost make up for the less seriousness that I may even have, because if they're serious, they're going to show up more often. They're going to ask a lot more questions. They're going to apply the answers to those questions. They're going to take notes. Um, and I've, I realized I can make myself available and even vulnerable, um, but I can't make someone hungry or responsive to what I'm giving them. And as available as I make myself and vulnerable as I make myself, if they don't show up or they're not, they don't follow through with their word or they don't ask questions or they don't take notes um, or they just want me to approve of what they're already doing. And when I disagree, they want to leave. It just doesn't, it won't matter. So um, I do think what I tend to do is I try to help older generations see how easy discipleship actually is and that it's not as complicated as we make it. It doesn't have to be a meeting. It truly can be young people joining their world. So, cause the number one excuse I hear for why we don't disciple is we're too busy uh, however, I also try to help young people trick older people into discipling them uh, because I tell them you cannot wait until someone pursues you to disciple yeah. you. Uh, and most of the reason, too, is because you may think, oh, they won't come and disciple me. But the reality is, as I found as I talk to more older people, is they also were never discipled. And so it's easy to feel like I can't pour out what I was never poured into me. And so I see discipleship in the problem with discipleship, instead of blaming a generation and then blaming a generation and then blaming a generation, I kind of see it as I see faith, uh, where I see this really hits men of God um, a lot, is where a man of the household comes from a faith, uh, a lack of faith background, like a, a family that did not have faith at all. Um, and then, for example, my dad's not a Christian, but, and I, for 15, 20 years, I had never really seen my grandpa, but I was actually speaking in South Africa and I told my dad, I'd like to, I'd like to reach out to my grandpa. I've never seen him since I was like five years old. And ironically, I was speaking at a church that was only 10 minutes away from where he was. Um, I didn't really know that. But when I told him, Hey, I'm going to be in Durban, South Africa. Can I get his number? And can you imagine how weird it was for me to call him and be like, Hey, grandpa, like this is Grant, your grandson, I haven't seen you in a long time. And I'm actually going to be in town in uh, two days. And, would you be down to meet? My grandpa was okay to meet. And where he had me meet him was at a casino. And that really kind of helped me have so much more grace for my dad. Cause I was like, yeah. okay, this is the guy who raised my dad. And this is also why maybe they don't talk that much. And, and I love healing in that area, but it gave me a lot of grace for my dad. And so where I was like, man, maybe my dad did the best he could with what he had. Um, and hopefully his dad did too, but I have some grace there. So my point is, I, when I was a young Christian, really wished my dad was more of a spiritual leader, spiritual father. Um, and I could just, whenever I fail, say, well, I don't have what other guys have. Like, I didn't get that kind of father. Or, but then I'm like, but he didn't get that kind of father. And who knows who he kind of had as a father. And so it's a long way to say what I found is men, especially I've seen, have this idea of like, I want to start a new legacy of faith in my family and then my kids' family and their kids' family. I want to set them up so they can set their kids up even better. And I, I want to have that same mentality for our generation towards discipleship, where it's like we could blame generations before for not discipling us and it not being a common thing. 
Um, or we can say, hey, it stops here. And I want to set up the next generation to be a little stronger, to give even better to the generation after. That's That's been my heart posture towards it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so that both end approach. I'm even thinking like, I guess I'm, I'm starting to fit into the older generation, which is kind of hard. But even I remember reading a, reading a book now several years ago. It's called Reverse Mentoring. Like that, yeah. that idea, like, yes, you can invest in the younger person, but the idea of reverse mentoring, that younger person is also mentoring you and they're coaching you. And I think along, I mean, there's probably a, a zillion things that a younger generation or younger person uh, can teach someone that's older, both spiritual lessons and life lessons and culture lessons. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. and we need that togetherness. Probably the biggest area in, in a joking way, but I always tell people an example of reverse mentorship that's already happening is I was like, anytime you have a problem with your cell phone, you could give it to your three-year-old and they'll fix that problem. Like there's just, there's a, now that's more just technology, but uh, everyone always is like, yeah, that's so true. They just innately know how to use that thing. So I had a question for you, Chad, though. Yep. Uh, even like for you, would you say you have a story or an experience where at a young age, whether it was a word that someone spoke over you or a gift someone saw at a young age and, and kind of in a way spoke life into it because they acknowledged it to you um, and shared that with you, or just maybe someone who put some big responsibilities on your plate at a young age. Do you have yeah. any experiences like that? Oh yeah. And it's, I mean, and they stand out clear as day mm-hmm. is the thing about, I can go where I was standing in the church I grew up as like heading into my senior year of high school. And I remember someone coming up to me, there was a Luis Palau crusade. And yeah. they're like, we feel like you could be a, a key player in this. And I mean, that, that instant. And then, I mean, it led to a lot of and end up ministry activity and work. And really, I look back that as kind of a spiritual marker season, but I remember when a guy named Jeff said that to me, you know, in, in the church and then other times, uh, those are definitely spiritual markers. So just, even as you say that, it's like, man, am I doing that? I'm thinking, who am I doing that to now? Like, are there younger people, whether it be my own kids or other people that I'm really speaking those words of encouragement to? Yeah. The first book I actually ever read was, um, was on discipleship uh, was Dave Ferguson's uh, book, ironically. And it was, I, it was called Exponential. Yeah, the Exponential um, book. Yeah, we read that. The, the yeah. subtitle was How You and Your Friends Can Start a Missional Church Movement. Yep. And uh, yeah, and it said, uh, I see in you. That was the first time I had ever seen that, okay. that idea of like, I see in you. And kind of like you just mentioned, I was it when I read that I, that idea of just seeing things in young people and like speaking life into it. It reminded me of the very first time I was 16 years old. Uh, I'd gotten saved and I got asked the day of if I'll speak for like seven minutes at a Bible study. About 50 people though, and at that time that felt like oh my gosh, uh, and I was newly saved. Yeah. And that message actually is on YouTube, and it's so bad. Wow. Man. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is very hard to find, fortunately. But there was an old man uh, that kind of said, yeah, he said, hey, I feel like you have a gift for speaking to your generation. And I, like you said, he's like, I mean, it's a, a spiritual marker. You can't forget it. I always say, I, I, my, as a Christian leader who's pretty serious about my faith, I don't think I could remember the main three points or even the main point of the sermon I listened to at church four weeks ago, just four weeks ago. But I'll never forget, not even like what he said, but I remember like visually that experience with that yeah. man. Like I'm a, I don't even, I've never met him before. I've never seen him since. But I, if I saw him in heaven, which I want to one day, I'm like, mm-hmm. you're the guy. Like I would remember you were that guy that, that said that over me and you had no idea. And so it's I, I, just another area of like giving young people a free response or uh, big responsibilities at a young age. That's free. Um, it doesn't. You don't need a consultant. You don't need to make a bigger church or a better looking church or you need Hillsong as your band. It's free to do that. And it's pivotal and life changing. And I would say biblical. And then speaking life into them takes like 10 seconds sometimes. And yeah. they, they could remember it 10 years from now. And so it's, it's a lot of not that difficult things. Like there's so much more power, I think, in the congregation's hands. And they, they realize if we could like train them and channel them towards the next generation. Yeah. No, that's great. I'm walking away with this, you know, even from our conversations today, it's like, all right, who are the 20 year olds that I know right now that are like, all right, I can do that with, what do I see in you? And yeah. kind of speak those words of encouragement. So I appreciate that reminder and uh, exciting for me to go back in those times in my life. Uh, let me ask you, let me fire a couple more questions at you. Uh, when you think about maybe um, 
unity as a whole or togetherness or even the older generation with the younger generation, what, what are maybe some barriers to unity or mistakes people may make um, or maybe some of the things that maybe even derail our good intentions of seeing that togetherness happen between generations? Is there anything you'd encourage people to yeah. avoid or traps? Yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> I, was at, I, was, I shared this at a breakout with Exponential and I remember saying, this is what I believe. This is not on behalf of Exponential. And Todd actually did say, yes, this is what he believes. <laughs> not on behalf of Exponential. So I, I acknowledge that this is, a, is, I don't even think it's that crazy of a view, but it's different. Is, um, one, I am uh, ferociously not a big fan of the over-glorification of small groups in church. That's the, the probably the most controversial thing. That's not that controversial to me, but... I think that we, this is a barrier for, for unity in the church and among young people is uh, one is we, because we don't know if most churches don't even know who their staff is discipling uh, in my experience, let alone do they know who their congregation is discipling. And so since we don't measure discipleship and know for sure discipleship's happening. And I would even say many people in our churches, like if you put them 50 people in our churches from elders to staff to key volunteers to somewhat good volunteers that, that someone show up to just people that show up regularly, all different levels in the church. You put them in 50 different rooms, gave them a blank sheet of paper that simply said on that sheet of paper, like, what does discipleship look like? What does the plan for discipleship look like at our church? Would they have the same answer to that question? And in my opinion, if they don't have the same answer, that's even remotely close, or they have to kind of just guess based off what they've read in the Bible, um, then they, we probably haven't given clarity or much attention to what discipleship looks like in the church. Um, and so I say all that to say, since we don't have a plan for discipleship, our plan is small groups. Um, we like, and if I'd say 90% of the times when I ask a church, what is the plan for discipleship? They'll say small groups. Um, but if I say, okay, so how effective has small groups been? Like what? percent of people in the small groups are discipling someone. No, no idea. Yeah. I've never had a church say they know. Um, and so I'm only half Mexican, but I always jokingly say, I think that small groups um, is Spanish for, or basically what we'll actually say is that we want organic discipleship to come out of small groups. But I think that organic is a Spanish word for, we don't have a plan, but we really hope it works. Yeah. Um, because organic discipleship, I just not see, I don't, I personally think organic is literally the opposite of needs to be there for discipleship. Like organic means it's untouched. You haven't altered the vegetables or added anything or intervened. You're just like, you let them be uh, what they are. And that's not discipleship actually. Like to say that Jesus didn't alter the disciples or Jesus didn't intervene or he didn't, um, yeah, change them a lot. You have to actually do that. And so uh, discipleship too is too strategic for it to just be organic. And so my point is, there's a line that they say, uh, circles are better than roads. And I agree, but I think disciples are better than circles. And I also think disciples came before circles. Like the idea in the church is, if we start a small group, then they can find their disciples and start discipling them, which we usually don't even get a plan for that. Um, nor do we measure if that actually happens. But uh, Jesus didn't start a small group and then find his disciples. Jesus found his disciples and that started a small group. Good word. And so it's a long way for me to say, I'm actually for small groups. I'm just not for small groups in replacing discipleship. Um, and or when we can say, because we measure small groups, but we just don't measure discipleship. Most churches know exactly how many small group leaders they have. They have training for it. They have all types of things around small groups. And they even would brag about like this much percent of our church is in small groups. And so I, in my opinion, think we replace the idea of discipleship and check that off the box, off the list, because we say, well, we have small groups. And, and I, I think you can have small groups without having discipleship. But I, I think every time you have discipleship, it will lead to small groups. So it's just putting the cart before the horse, in my opinion. And yeah. so uh, what this kind of going back to your question of like, how does that disrupt things is, uh, one, that's not going to create discipleship relationships, but I think is necessary for the next generation. And then two, the irony is I don't think that um, I, when people hear that, or often you'll see a lot of churches try to put uh, generations in small groups. 
and I'm hit or miss on this. Sometimes I'm like, I see the good in that, but I actually, if I had to force Congress and people to be together, because a lot of times they'll think Sunday or they'll think small groups. Um, I'm kind of fine with it not being Sunday or small groups. Cause at the end of the day, that's mostly just an event. And it's mostly just listening to someone talk. That's not going to really connect me in another generation where I would double down way more. Um, but this becomes a barrier is, uh, I like mission trips for, for intergenerational stuff. Hmm. And I like retreats for intergenerational stuff. Um, I don't know if some churches have sports leagues that should totally be intergenerational. Anything that has deep relational connection experience. It's not about like listening to someone together. It's about like doing something together. Mm-hmm. That's why I want to have intergenerational relationships. There's a lot of service stuff. Uh, small group, yeah. Just any of those things. I mean, we, if you've ever been on a mission trip, it's like yeah. you go to another country with complete strangers and the goal is to reach these people, but inevitably you come back best, best friends with those yeah. people. I, I would just, yo, and we got, but the problem is, and you talk about like, where are the barriers? The problems are most of our mission trips. It's like, this is the youth mission trip, or this is the men's mission trip, or this is yeah, right. the women's retreat, which is older women, or this is the men's retreat, which are older women, or this is our retreat for youth, which is camp. Um, and so the more, and I don't want to even take away any of those. I think there's times that are really good for you to get generations with their own generation. I'm not, I'm not against that. I just think there's got to be a couple rhythms of, Hey, if we need a scholarship, some young guys so that they can come to this men's retreat, or we need to go all out to recruit guys, like who bring your one. Um, we need more young guys because that was life changing for me to go to men's retreat, but I was always the youngest of everyone when I went to them, but that was the difference maker, I think in my life. And so uh, those would help when you come back to church in the congregation of the small groups, then you have the deep relationship so that it actually matters that you're in the same room. Uh, but that, that would be a barrier is uh, the things that are the most relational in the church tend to be the most segregated also in the church, in my, in my opinion, not on purpose, but organically, that's kind yeah. of happened. That's, that's great, man. Now you give us a lot of good nuggets today. Appreciate that. This is really good. Um, anything else, anything else you're seeing like in your context related to multiple kingdom multiplication, collaboration, maybe work with your work with Q or there in Nashville, other things that man you're excited about that you just want to say, man, I, I, I just want to communicate this right now. Yeah, man. So it sounds like you probably know this guy because you were talking about prayer and unity in Nashville. Uh, so the church I'm landing at, and this is through kind of exponential, is Dave Clayton's church. He came here uh, and spoke for us for HCPN. Nice. So yeah, nice. he's great. So just such a man of character, um, just easy to get behind that guy. He, he Great reflection of Christ and who he is um, and the way he carries himself in the city. I any, any pastor, I asked a lot of pastors and leaders and people that came here, what church is serious about helping other churches here, mm-hmm. local churches here. And that he came up every time. Oh, yeah. And so um, what I would say is um, I just got invited to something that I think is really cool. And when you say like, what are you seeing is uh, one of the problems when we pursue unity is I see unity pursued the most after crisis um, or after uh, disaster. Um, you see a lot of unity at, as what I would actually call responsive unity. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a hurricane happened. Now let's call all these guys and they're willing to take your call. Cause yeah, we're all in this ironically back to the beginning, desperate position um, or in Dallas, man, I can't tell you how many times this happened where a sh- big shooting happened, whether it's the police officers or because there was a shooting of like five police officers. And then there's also of unarmed black men uh, or women as well. And um, yeah, and then the mayor and or the district attorney or some key leaders are calling us leaders in the in the city together. And um, it's always responsive. It's like I, I remember seeing one of the biggest churches in Dallas. It was after the uh, Botham John case, which is when the police officer went in the wrong apartment and he, he was unfortunately murdered in his own home. Um, and it was very yeah difficult. And so um they bring about 20 key pastors. I'm the only guy with one other guy that isn't a pastor and I'm easily the youngest in the room. And I remember sitting next to one of the biggest predominantly white churches in the city that's been there for 20 years. And because I know he'll probably not listen to this and TD Jakes is there. One of the, one of the biggest predominantly black churches yeah. in the city. Um, and I remember hearing them say, Hey, it's good to find me. And they were talking and they knew of each other, of course, because they've been in the city for 20 years and they have two of the biggest churches and I thought, oh, man, I don't want I don't want to be 20 years into my 
church and be known as like everyone we know of each other, but we've never talked. And the only thing that brings us together is our mayor because there's nationally televised news every day. And now we're meeting because um, we can't even respond in strength at that point. We, we still have to go through the basics of just getting to know each other and trust each other, let alone what Jesus would say is love each other. Um, and so what was really cool that I see, I like is um, with Dave Clayton and some guys here is they're doing this. Um, I hope I can kind of share. I'm not going to give too much details of it. Yeah, they're doing like a barbecue field day, family day for four hours um, at a big ranch. Um, and it's like apparently like hundreds of pastors and leaders come with their families and when I've been to these unity things, it t- they tend to be prayer things where it's like we gather early in the morning yeah. for the city, which is good. I'm not even against that, but it's usually about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, or it's like a worship night. I see that a lot. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. worship night and we're all going to do that. And again, good. But there, this one I really liked is like, it's very relational and it's long. It's not like those prayer things. Pastors are busy. No pastor. Yeah. What I haven't said this and I need to say this is, no pastor doesn't care about unity. No pastor doesn't care about the other churches. The number one reason, ironically, why pastors don't carve out more time for working with other churches is the same reason why most people don't disciple anyone is they're so busy. Like yeah. most pastors have enough fires, too many fires that they have to put out in their own church to even know what's going on in, in other churches. So, so it's not out of like, oh, I don't care or I'm against or they're my enemy. I've never seen that. It's only, I'm so busy with what I've already got doing here. Um, and what I liked about this, uh, this like thing is when, unlike when you go to the Monday prayer thing or whatever in the morning, you, you're checking your watch. It's like, yo, I got eight meetings still today. I gotta yeah. go as much as I love you guys. I gotta go. But this is like four hours long. And it's, it's not because it's aiming towards an event that's coming or something. Cause sometimes that happens too, is like some big events coming to yeah. Houston or to Dallas. Plan it. Yeah. Like, yo, and that actually brings yeah. us together is that yeah. the guy that comes into town, he's got the big thing coming. And so for yeah. a couple of months, you work up to it. Um, which is, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm for all these levels of unity. I just, you don't always see the one where it's like, let's just hang out for four hours. And also our families, let our families connect. Um, I, I really, I really like that because I actually think I know that the church in America and the church in our cities, when I t- the congregations, the congregations, I don't think realize and know how connected lately the pastors and their churches have become with other churches in the city. And so unity has started to happen the last five or six, seven years, a lot because of all the crisis and all the ironically desperation that's happened in our nation. Um, but it hasn't really bled down to the congregation often to where they know, actually, no, these pastors, even though one's Presbyterian, one's non-denominational, one's Pentecostal and one's Baptist, they actually have started to really connect quite a bit. Um, but a congregation doesn't know that. So I, I like this idea of like starting to bring the, the people into it as well, relationally. Um, so anyway, small thing, but I don't, I don't see that everywhere. No, I love it. Yeah. You give me some ideas for Houston. So we talk yeah. in terms of like our keys for collaboration, like two wings of the airplane, mission and relationship. So we got that mission. How do we impact the city? But the relationship side are really cut for collaboration. It's like just getting to know each other, the pastors and building uh, community. So I love that idea. Maybe following up on kind of some specifics of what you guys did there in Nashville. Yeah. Uh, last, last question for you. So you're part of our main stage speaker lineup for a couple of the regionals coming up, both in DC and in Houston. Uh, what's one thing that you're going to hope that you hope leaders are going to take away from your talk? Now, I'm sure you've got it already all written and everything. It's <laughs> all done. You practiced it three times. Just kidding. Yeah. But what's one thing that you're, that's kind of churning that you feel like this is something that I'm hoping people are going to walk away with. Yeah. Uh, and I, I have, because they emailed me yesterday and like, Hey, give us, we need give your us a note. All right. Well, let's yeah, get yeah. it done. Yeah. Uh, I've been thinking more and more, but um, I think the biggest thing, because it is around John 17, it is around uh, unity, Jesus's prayer. Um, which I would actually see say is the Lord's real prayer. Like that's his prayer. Um, because yeah. the other one should be called the disciples prayer in my opinion. Um, but all that to say, I, I think the main takeaway I want people to take away is the same in unity and in discipleship, actually, is that it does take time. It does take almost your tithing, your time to this. Um, it, you can't erase it. It kind of, you do become, I guess, a little bit busier. 
But um, I think when we talk about discipleship, it comes with like, oh, that's, that's going to be a burden. But it's one of those burdens that's worth it. And when we talk about diversity, it's like, oh, there's a lot of landmines there. And it, I kind of might feel guilty when going into this conversation. Um, but it's worth it on the other end. So it's like these things that are hard things, but they're worth it. And, and again, I want to acknowledge that, yeah, those are there. But I don't think we talk enough about how shit is awesome and fun. And like, there's, it's so life-giving. I, I, when I'm around young people that I'm pouring into, because I am starting to feel old as I'm getting in my 30s. 30 was um, a big age for me. I remember turning 30. That was a big age for me. So okay, go ahead. And yeah, it just, it is life-giving to be, to see like new faith and fresh faith. Even some of these young guys, when I say they're like revivalists and old souls, I'm like, man, I wish... Which more of my generation was like that. I wanted to be like that, but I didn't have many friends like that. And it's life-giving to be around y'all. And when I talk about diversity and, and unity, um, it can sometimes be just a prophetic message to call us higher. But um, instead of being guilted into it, I'd love to one takeaway is like, man, I'm inspired to want to do that. I want to do a, a field day and barbecue with my family and get to another church across our city. Like I love our city and and there's others that love our city. And I, 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 there's more inspiration than just, oh, that's one more thing I'm not doing right. And there's one more thing I got to add to my calendar mm-hmm. on an already busy calendar. Um, but that we see the, the blessing of unity um, more so even than the burden uh, of unity and the work that it takes. Grant, I really enjoyed our time today, man. It was fun getting to know you. I hadn't met you before. So this, I really enjoyed it. And um, again, I, I encourage uh, you, if you're on this call, to join us to continue this conversation at one of the regional events coming up this fall, uh, where we talk, talk further about uh, collaboration and, and being together and uh, being unified. If you'd like to uh, join us, uh, you can check out exponential.org uh, slash events uh, to see the different ones. Grant's specifically going to be uh, speaking at two. He'll be in DC in September. I think 13th and 14th are the dates on that. And he's actually doing a breakfast the first morning. But if you want to get a smaller group with Grant, if you're bringing a group group, uh, you can be part of that. So uh, you can check out the website for more information on that. And then I'd love to have you in Houston. Uh, join us October 26th, 27th. Uh, Grant's going to be down uh, or over in uh, Houston with us. So I encourage you uh, to check those out. Uh, for more information, uh, you can check out again, exponential.org events. And for more future webinars, uh, encourage you to follow uh, Exponential on the different social media platforms. Uh, thanks again for joining us today and have a great day.